All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and we, are, we, we took two weeks off because last week um, Rev. Siebold was here with us, and then the week before that, Brother Josh preached. So we were halfway through uh, uh, talking about the weak weaknesses of the church at Corinth. We talked about their strengths, and I know that's going back too far, so I won't ask you to try to remember them, but we said they were a large church, they were a giving church, they were teachable, and they were repentant. Those were the things that made Corinth a strong church. Now, 1st and 2nd Corinthians are all written, are, are basically written to talk mostly about the weaknesses uh, that they were facing in the church at Corinth. So we could probably go with a lot more than what we're actually going to talk about tonight, um, or, or the, what we've talked about over the last couple nights. But um, what can you remember about the weaknesses of the church at Corinth? Did he put those up there already? No, good. Can you remember anything about it? They were divided. That was the first thing that we said. Very good. And basically over the fact that, you know, um, Paul talks about this, but they said, you know, some are of, of Paul, some of are, are of Apollos, and they were, they were arguing about who was the better preacher, basically, and, and which one they followed and, and so on. So, yes, they were divided. What's the second thing that we said? This comes, and, and maybe if you turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, it'll kind of trigger your memory a little bit. Um, but the second thing that we talked about came from there, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, yeah, they were proud in their sin. Um, we, we, we touched on that in this second one. Right, they were guilty of and they were tolerant of sexual sins. And what we talked about underneath that was that they were actually proud of the fact that there were people in their church that were guilty of these things and they didn't do anything about it. And, uh, of course, we talked about that fact that... that, that um, that's something that's not going to be tolerated in our church and something that ought not to be in, in tolerated in any church, for that matter. By the way, uh, uh, Becca f uh, saw this yesterday or the day before. Um, I told you, and I didn't use any names, and I'm still not going to, but um, um, out the college out in um, California, uh, there was a pastor that came from Maryland, went out there to become a part of the college, and while he was there, um, a lot of accusations came out against him of some stuff that he had done when he was a pastor in Maryland with um, a teenage girl in his church. And she accused him of all this, and so the college let him go. And he went down and became, a, what was he, just an assistant pastor, I guess, but became an assistant pastor at a church down in Florida. And they were planning on starting a college. He was going to be the president of the college and all of this stuff. And, and that's, you know, I, I use that as an illustration because I said that's, you know, Certainly, we don't want to kick somebody when they're down, uh, but we're not going to put somebody in a position of leadership that's been accused of these kind of things. And, of course, you know, accusations are just that. They're accusations, but uh, this one had a lot, of, um, a lot of teeth behind it, and just yesterday, he was actually arrested, and, um, and uh, it was in Maryland. Uh, on the same, the same thing, same thing, yeah. So he had, to, he had to report back up to Maryland, and, and they arrested him. And so, um, you know, obviously they had enough, or they wouldn't have arrested him. And, and, uh, but that's, that's all I'm saying is that there is, there is absolutely no reason why he should have been allowed in any position of leadership, you know. And, and that's what I'm talking about. And that's, I, I believe that's exactly what the church at Corinth was doing. They didn't want to confront these things, and so they just allowed it to go on. And, and so many people were hurt by it. And same thing happened in this case. I mean, that church was just split in half. 
because half of them believe the girl, half of them believe the pastor, uh, and it just it split the church in half. And of course, he, you know, 99% sure is guilty of all of the things that they were accusing him of. But but that ought not to be happening in any church, especially ours. And then what's the third thing? First Corinthians 11 is where that one came from. I don't know if this will trigger any of your uh, memory about that or not. But 1 Corinthians 11, and really 12 and 13 goes into it as well. Um, chapter 12 talks about the, um, um, the Holy Spirit, the importance of gifts, speaking in tongues, all of that kind of stuff. Do you remember? Why, why would Paul feel the need to talk to them about all of those things? They were what? They were disorderly. They were disorderly. And the Bible says that, let all things be done decently and in order. And they were not. So they were disorderly. As we talked about a few things along with that. And, and we came to the conclusion pretty much that, that order in the church shows a proper reverence to God. Um, well, you have order everywhere else, right? You stand before a judge, you have order. Uh, lots of different uh, places that, I mean, you know, uh, you go to the tomb of the unknown soldier and there's just order, there's respect. And, and that order is, be, you know, that respect is because of that order and, and the uh, order is because of the respect. I mean, it's, it's, it goes both ways. But then you want to come into church and have no reverence for God, have no respect for God, no order in the church and everything else. And, and that's, you know, um, we are respecting God by showing order in the church. So we've done all that. Now let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Uh, we've, looked at, we've looked at several of the failings of the Corinthian church, and they were big things. Um, but I don't think they were the largest problems that they had at the church in, in Corinth. And there are, there are two things that we're going to talk about tonight, two, of the, two things that they failed at miserably um, that, that just saturated the church and really can be found at the root of the dysfunction of the church in, at Corinth. And the first thing is this, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 1, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able, for ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? They were carnal. They were carnal Christians, and that is the sign of a, of a weak church. Someone who is carnal is under the control of the appetites of the flesh. We fight against our flesh, and the Bible talks about the, the old man and the new man. The old man never, you know, our job is to, is to crucify the old man, to crucify the flesh on a daily basis, but uh, that's the root issue of, the, of a lot of the failings of the church at Corinth. They were carnal Christians. See, a mature Christian does not fall prey to division. A mature Christian does not fall prey to the, to the uh, you know, allowing all of these uh, sensualities and all of that kind of stuff to go on. A mature Christian is not going to be disorderly. They were carnal Christians, and that was really a, a lot of what had to do with the root of their problem. Uh, and we see, we see it throughout the Corinthian church. Um, people doing what they wanted instead of what was wise or what was right. And boy, if that does not describe exactly what Christianity is today, people just doing what feels good to them instead of doing what is right, instead of doing what the Bible says that we ought to do, following their appetites, their feelings. Um, you know, the, these Corinthian church, I mean, there were so many things that they dealt with. They, in, in, in verse 4, talks about that, but they were following the preacher that they liked the best. 
They were eating food that belonged, uh, you know, that was known to be sacrificed to idols because they liked it no matter, uh, you know, who was being hurt by it. Uh, they engaged in fornication. They, they just followed the flesh. And, you know, that's, our world is dominated by, by this mindset. What feels good is good. What feels good is good. And that is not, that's not true. That's not true according to the Bible. Churches and Christians, sadly, have, have kind of adopted that same principle. If it feels good, it must be right. If it feels good, it is good. And it's not true, you know. I mean, that's, that is one of the reasons, and, and we talk about this, I wouldn't say all the time, but fairly often because you see it so much in, in a lot of these non-denominational churches today that are just, you know, they have the, the sensual music and the, the dancing and all of that kind of stuff, and it's just, well, you know, I'm worshiping God, and it feels good, so it must be good, and it's, it's not, according to the Bible. Uh, choices are made on a daily basis in churches about worship, about whether to witness, about entertainment, about the speech that we use, about... Uh, every other aspect of, you know, just um, our church practices and, and modern life based on what our flesh is inclined to do. But the, the, the criteria um, in, in a lot of churches today and in a lot of Christians' lives today is not, is it right, is do I like it? Do I like it? And if I like it, then I'm going to do it, regardless of whether it's right or not. That's a very dangerous position. In fact, turn over to Jeremiah chapter 17. You'll recognize this verse, Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse number 9. This is why that principle of does it feel good does not fit with anything that we do. Now, worshiping God feels good. In fact, there's a song that says, I know you're not saved by feeling, but doesn't it feel good? It does feel good to be saved, but just because it feels good does not mean that it's right. Uh, but just because it feels good does all, also does not mean that it's wrong either. Feelings are not what we base right and wrong on. The Bible is what we base right and wrong on. And what happens so many times it, with Christianity today is that we're not basing it on whether or not it feels good and it's based on the Word of God. We're just basing it on whether or not it feels good. And if it feels good, it must be right. The Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Our hearts are going to deceive us. Our hearts are wicked, right? We were born in sin and we get saved and God forgives us of all of those things, but that, that, that natural man, that, that flesh never goes away. And if we don't feed the spirit, then we are going to feed the flesh. And when you feed the flesh, then things that are fleshly are going to feel good, but they're not right. They're not going to be good. Our flesh is the producer of our appetites and a major factor in our emotions. And that's at war with the spirit of a saved person, right? Just because it feels good does not mean that it's wrong. But there's a lot of things that feel good that are wrong, that have been accepted as right, because they feel good. Uh, to, invite, to invite it is to have controlling influence on decision-making. Um, having our flesh there is just a terrible mistake. Have you ever gone shopping for groceries when you were hungry? I've done it before, and I don't shop very much, but I've gone to the store with Becca, and you know, I'm hungry, and I'm like, oh, let's get this, and let's get that, and oh, let's get this, and you end up going out of there with, you know, with a full cart and an empty wallet, usually what happens. But uh, uh, if you allow your appetite to guide you while you're shopping, then you're going to get a whole lot of things in that cart that you never intended to get, 
and that are not going to be necessarily good for you, right? And, and not good for your wallet. Um, but the same thing is true. If, if you're going to the grocery store and you're following a grocery list, I'm only going to get these things, then it doesn't matter how hungry you are and, oh, man, look at that thing as you're going past it. Those things are not going to affect your decisions. I'm following this list, and this is what I came to get, and this is what I'm getting. Uh, and, and, and that same idea is what we have to use when it comes to walking in the Spirit, you know? We have to walk in the Spirit and obey the Word of God just because... Uh, you know, something in the world appeals to us doesn't mean that we need it or that it's right. So uh, we have to make sure that we're not carnal Christians. That is, so, that is the root of so many problems and so many things that get a church off in the wrong direction. Is that everybody's being led not by the Holy Spirit, but by their emotions. They're not being led by the Word of God. They're being led by, you know, their feelings. And we can't, we can't allow those things to happen. That is, that is a, a hallmark of a carnal Christian. And here's the last thing, and, and there's a lot of other things probably that we could say about this again, but let's turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, and see if you can, uh, in your mind, try to put together what, what you think this last problem is with the church of Corinth. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 1. Now, as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. And if any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing yet as he ought to know. But if any man love God, the same is known of him. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 18. Now some are puffed up, as though I would not come to you. But I will come to you shortly, if the Lord will, and will know not the speech of them which are puffed up, but the power. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 2. And ye are puffed up, and have not rather mourned that he hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. 1 Corinthians 13, verse number 4. 1 Corinthians 13, verse number 4. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. What do you think the problem with the Corinthian church was? Pride. They were puffed up, right? The phrase puffed up, you find that in 1 Corinthians six times. You only find that one other place in all of the rest of the New Testament, in Colossians chapter 2. Uh, but it, it clearly was a problem in the Corinthian church. And Paul was very sharp in the way that he identified that and dealt with it. What does that mean? The, the idea of being puffed up is, is inflation or inflating yourself. It, it, it means to make yourself proud or to inflate one's own worth. And essentially, it's exactly what Brother John mentioned. It's pride. Being puffed up is pride. Thinking too highly of yourself, that's exactly what the way the Bible describes that. Um, the Corinthian church had an inflated sense of their worth. Um, you know, they were prideful. And according to 1 Corinthians, that was a root of a lot of the problems with their weakness. And that's why I say carnality and pride. You know, all of these other things that we talked about and all these other things that we could talk about are all based in those two things. Being a carnal Christian and being proud. That's really the root of all of our problems. Because if we're a mature Christian in Jesus Christ, we're not going to fall prey to the emotional side of things that make us want to go do things that are not according to the Word of God. And if we weren't puffed up, if we weren't proud, <laughs> that's the other half, right? Uh, carnality, being a carnal Christian and being prideful. They were puffed up about their divided loyalties. They were puffed up about their tolerance of the sexual sins. They were puffed up in their use of spiritual gifts. They were pu 
puffed up about the issue of food being offered to idols, so much so that, that Paul actually uh, takes 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 through 3, which we already read, uh, just to chastise them before he kind of gets into the idea of what he really wanted to talk about. But they were, they were puffed up about everything. They were prideful about everything. Uh, there was just a raging pride that was saturating the entire church of Corinth. And, you know, I, I think it's pretty ironic. If you think about it, uh, and we're going to talk about some other churches, and we've talked about the weaknesses of these others, but First and Second Corinthians are the longest two books in the New Testament by far. And the reason they were the longest ones is because Paul was addressing issue after issue after issue of things that they were doing wrong, and yet they were puffed up about all the things that they thought they had. You know, and it's so, it's so ironic that, that um, you know, this, this church had the most troubles of all of them that were recorded in the New Testament. But that's not surprising, really, because that's what the nature of pride is, you know. Um, pride ignores flaws and sins uh, where, it, where it exists, and it imagines strength and quality where it does not exist, you know. Uh, they didn't see anything wrong with what they were doing. In fact, they were proud of the things that they were doing. And then, you know, uh, they, were, they were prideful about things that they were doing, and they were prideful about things that they were not doing. And, and a lot of what they were doing and not doing was wrong, you know? Um, pride is, is, is never uh, justified in a Christian. It's never merited in a Christian. But it's interesting that, that the presence of pride in a Christian's life is typically in um, an inverse proportion to the worthiness of the subject. In other words... The, the people who have the least amount of pride are usually the better Christians, right? The people who have the most pride about how good they are are usually the worst Christians. And that's exactly what happened with the church in Corinth, you know? Um, because a Christian that, that is not prideful in his life is not prideful because he realizes who he is and he realizes who God is. A person that is prideful in their life has the exact opposite problem. They think of themselves a whole lot more highly than they ought to think of themselves, and they don't see God in the holiness, uh, in His holiness, in the way that they should. Um, but, but it's tempting to just, you know, uh, draw a direct application from specific areas of pride in the Corinthian church that, that fit with, you know, with, with maybe what we would call a preferred narrative. For example, the Corinthian church's pride over their tolerance of sexual sin is clearly an issue that's a problem in Christianity today, you know? Um, but the specific issues that the Corinthian church was puffed up were just symptoms. Pride can go in any direction. Um, you know, churches and Christians, we have to be, uh, we can be just as easily guilty of pride um, for our intolerance of sin as our tolerance of it. And by that I mean, you know, there's a lot of churches, and, and, and we've hit this idea over and over. We've talked about Stephen Anderson. He's one of the ones that I think would be a perfect example of that, and I have no problem talking about him specifically because he is, he is, he is um, I don't know if I'd go so far as to say he's a false prophet, but he's very close to it, if not. And he's got a lot of doctrines that he is just, just completely mixed in as, uh, you know, claiming to be an independent Baptist that have just destroyed churches. But one of the things that he is so, well, two things. Number one, he hates the Jews. And uh, number two, he hates homosexuals. And it's not homosexuality that he hates, it's the homosexuals. And that is so anti-Bible 
We ought to hate homosexuality. God hates homosexuality. He destroyed all of Sodom and Gomorrah for their homosexuality. But God loves the sinner. And guys like Stephen Anderson and, and others that, that are really in that camp with him are so prideful of their intolerance of sexual sins in the same way that the Corinthian church was prideful of their tolerance of those sexual sins. You see what I'm saying? We can, we can go to both extremes. We can, we can be so prideful over our intolerance of something in the same way that they were prideful of their, in their tolerance of it. Uh, there's a balance in there. And we've talked about that so many times, you know, and, and, I, and I've mentioned this before, but even Stephen Anderson with his idea about, uh, you know, praying that God would kill all the homosexuals, you know, praying that God would kill, and this was, this was a couple years ago when Obama was still the president, but I pray every night that God would kill Obama. That's not, that's not biblical. And all of that is, is pride in your position on where you stand on all of the rest of those issues. You know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It doesn't say, but God so loved the world, except for the homosexuals and except for the politicians that don't agree with us. You know, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, God uses some very strong language to condemn the sins that some of these people are involved in. But nowhere does God condemn the sinner other than to say that, that they're going to spend an eternity in hell if they don't accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. But he loves them. How many times do you see in the Bible, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when Jesus would go out and he would see a crowd of people, a multitude of people, and he was moved with what? Compassion. Not, oh, these are the people that in a few months or a few years are going to kill me. I hope all of them die before that happens. You know? He knew what was coming. He knew who they were. He knew what was in their heart. And over and over and over, you see, he was moved with compassion on them. Because that's what we ought to be. We ought to be moved with compassion. And I'm not trying to get off on a rabbit trail, but that's exactly what happens is we can, we can get so prideful of our stance on, you know, dress and music and all of those things that, that our intolerance of things can become a point of pride just as much as some other weaker Christians' tolerance of those things. Uh, pride, pride manifests itself in a lot of ways. Um, you know, it, it may be, uh, and this happens a lot with, with that group that I just talked about, but they're prideful about the way that they're willing to stand up and, and you know, cause conflict between them and somebody else, you know. Or uh, it could, it could um, show itself in the way that you endeavor to succeed. It may be in the way that you speak, the way that you draw attention to yourself, the way that you emphasize even the miseries of your own life compared to other people. Um, anytime, anytime the key uh, individual in somebody's life is themselves instead of Jesus Christ, then there's pride. Jesus Christ ought to be the center of our life. He ought to be the key of our life. And anytime we put ourselves in that position, then we're puffed up, as he talked about with the Corinthians. The root issue is inflating yourself, and, and Christian servants are all too prone to it. We just, we, we naturally are, you know. We've got to watch out for pride in our lives uh, because it'll destroy us faster than anything else. Uh, what does the Bible say? Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride comes before the fall. You've heard that said many, many times. That's just a summary of that verse in Proverbs. Pride comes before the fall. My dad, I, I can't tell you how many times he said that. You know, we grew up in sports and and uh, all, all of my brothers, and, and uh, I guess my sisters too, were pretty athletic in sports. And uh, 
You know, so we, we did pretty well in most of the things that we did, but he would say that all the time. Pride comes before the fall. And it's true. It's true. In physical things and in spiritual things, it's true. Um, pride hides in plain sight. And it's very necessary then for us as Christians to recognize that, that even faithful servants of Jesus Christ are capable of pride. And we have to examine our lives every single day to make sure that we are not allowing pride to get in the way of being a servant of Jesus Christ. Um, I, th I think the best definition of pride is, you know, a lot of people, well, I'm humble, so I'm going to walk around and I'm just going to tell everybody I'm not worthy to be used by God and everything else. And I'm not, you know, somebody tells you, what a great job you did on that. No, no, it was, it was a horrible job. I, I could have done so much better. That's not humility. And, and a lot of times, people get, people get prideful about the humility that they show, you know? I'm humble and proud of it, right? Uh, but, that's, but, but really, a show of humility is not necessarily humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. That's what humility is. Putting other people in front of me. Putting Jesus Christ first place in my life. Putting Him in front of me. It's not thinking less of yourself. God gave you abilities to use, right? And if you use those abilities for God's service, he's going to bless those things. And, and, you know, people will compliment you on, boy, that was great. Thank you. That's all you need to say, you know? Uh, there's no pride in saying thank you for somebody telling you that you did a good job singing or preaching or anything, right? Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. That's what humility is all about, and we have to make sure that we, you know, search for those inflation bubbles that happen in our life and, and pop them, because if we, if we don't pop those bubbles, they're just going to keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and pretty soon they're going to take over our life, and, uh, and, and then pretty soon it's going to be obvious to everybody, um, but less flesh, less pride, more of Jesus. That's what we need in our life. Now, there's a lot of weaknesses that we looked at with the Corinthian church, um, that God gave us to look out for. And, uh, you know, they were divided. They were guilty of and tolerant of sexual sins. They were disorderly. They were carnal. They were puffed up. Those are things that we have to take note of, especially the two that we talked about tonight. Don't be a carnal Christian. Don't be a Christian that's living in the flesh. If we're living in the flesh, then that means we're not living in the Spirit. And if we're not living in the Spirit, then God can't use us. And pride. If we're puffed up, and we're putting ourselves in the position that God belongs in. And if God's not first place in our life, then he's not getting glory. He's not being glorified by everything that happens. I'm being glorified by what happens with, when I'm first place. And nobody would say that. Nobody would say, oh, yeah, I'm first place in my life. God takes a second. You know, God takes the back seat in my life. Nobody would say that. But by the way that we think and by the way that we act, sometimes we do that. And we have to be careful that we're not doing those things. So let's take note of those things. And avoid those things in our own life and in our church. And we'll be, we'll be able to have a church that God is pleased with. And that God uh, is, can bless. And we'll be able to establish a strong church for his glory. Let's pray. Father, we love you again. We thank you so much for how good you are to us. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to be here together tonight and gather around your word. And I do pray that you would help us to examine our own lives. See uh, if we have any of these weaknesses. Uh, that we can exploit, uh, that the devil can exploit in our life for the sake of, of making us not as useful as a Christian as you want us to be. And I pray that you'd help us to get rid of the pride, get rid of the, 
the carnality in our life, and, and then, and then let, let that filter down into all the rest and take care of any problems that we have. And I pray that you would just be pleased by us as individual Christians and by us as a church, and that you could bless us because of it. Thank you for what you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right.